Good morning. It is a pleasure and a privilege and a blessing to be here with you today. You have received my family so warmly. Last Sunday night, that plate of food came, and that plate of food sat there for the remainder of the time <laughs> because of the, the endless warm greetings. And someone said they were sorry that I was missing out on that food, but I said, no, this is spiritual food. And we left that night filled. Y'all have received us very warmly. You have blessed us in many ways. We thank you for those who wrote cards. And every day, practically, we would go out in the mail and there'd be two or three or four cards waiting for us with many kind and encouraging words. And we were always anticipating them. And we were filled by them. And we thank you for doing that. Um, I, beginning a, a work like this, the challenge is, where do you start? Y'all don't know me, and, and I hardly know you, and I thought the best place to start is the place I believe Blake said that he started uh, about a year ago. One of the first things that he said when he got up is that this is a church that wants to be Bible-based and Bible-centered, and I believe that that's the only foundation that exists. If we're not standing on these words, we don't have sure footing. We'll be pushed over, we'll be knocked around, we'll be driven about by the winds and every wave of doctrine. So this is where we begin. And I thought, well, I could start by mentioning a couple boring biographical details about myself, or I could just tell you one, one story from my youth that I thought might be helpful. It was a dream that I had when I was young. I told my wife that I was going to start by telling the people that I had uh, this dream. And, and she said, well, they're going to think that you're trying to be a prophet or something. And I, I'll, I'll just tell you uh, as a disclaimer here, uh, nothing prophetic here, but this dream and the things that I saw within it uh, have really compelled me and driven me in my ministry. It's an image that I will never forget and one that has stayed with me since I was a boy. You ever had those dreams where you, you wake up in your dream, but you're, you're still dreaming, but you've woken up. You were asleep in your dream, and then you woke up, and now you're awake in your dream, and you think, wow, I guess this is real life because I just woke up. Well, I woke up in this dream, and I was in somewhat of a trance. I don't know how to describe it other than that I knew to get out of bed, go out of my room, down the hall, into the kitchen, out through the uh, living area, and out the front door. And to my right and my left, my mother and father and four sisters, they were all there with me, and we were all just going. Nobody was saying anything to one another. We were just going toward the front door. Something was drawing us there. We went out, and the sky was pitch black. It was the middle of the night. But we noticed that all of our neighbors were outside. And everyone in the neighborhood, everyone was fixed on this one certain spot. And just then, there was a sound, the only thing I can liken it to is, is the blare of a giant ocean vessel. You can probably imagine the sound. I thought about doing an impression of it, but I'd, I'll, I'll pass on that. But there was this blare, and just when that happened, at this point in the sky, there began to be a, a swirl of colors, purple and red and yellow, and just this bright spot in the middle of the sky. Everything else was black. And then there was a figure that was emerging from further back and was getting closer and, and closer and closer. And the image 
the figure was Jesus, and he was coming. It was his return. He's coming to call the faithful home. And myself and my family, we began to rise. There was a great joy in knowing I fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've been found by my father, him having said, you've done well, my good and faithful servant. But I'll never forget the image that my mind created of what it was like for those who stayed behind. As we were elevating and going up to meet the Lord, I saw the looks of my neighbors. I saw their faces. As now the time was spent and the day had come. You'll remember last week as Blake was finishing up the book of Malachi, he mentioned that there is a great day coming. And it will be a great day for some. And it will be a terrible day for many. And I know that. And the Bible compels me to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus for that reason. I want more than anything on the planet to be found faithful by him on that day. And it is my privilege and it is my duty and it is the calling of my ministry to do everything that I can to ensure that as many people as possible are themselves also ready for that day. So that's a little bit about who I am and what compels me and what drives me and what my conscience is every week as I stand before you to bring these words, which are truly the words of life. So having said that, let's get into the main part of the lesson this morning. When God formed Adam, I've always been struck by this. It says that he fashioned him from the dust of the ground. He formed the man. He took the dirt and he made the man. And the man was there and he had his body. His skin was there. His bones were there. His organs were there. The blood was there. The brain was there. All the parts were there. Biologically and anatomically, he was complete. And yet he was laying on the ground lifeless. And it was not until the breath of God entered him that he became a living being. Genesis Chapter 2 and verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. There is no life in man. There is no life in anyone apart from the breath of the Almighty God. And that's a scriptural truth that you can track all the way from Genesis to Revelation. A number of scriptures I could give, but the reverse is also true. There was a man who'd never been alive, and God breathed into him, and there he was living. And the reverse is also true. I remember, and I'll never forget, what it was like, the time when I was standing before my dear brother in Christ, and we were in the hospital, and I saw him leave this world and pass into the next. At that moment... I, I can't describe it except to say that the change in his person and the change at that moment was palpable. There he was one moment, and then he was gone. And it struck me to my core because here this figure was and hooked up to, we have all of this medical technology, we have all of these resources, and none of them are able to bring back what was there just a moment ago. Brother was here and his body's still here, and I still see his face. 
his, his, his bodily essence was before me. And yet there was no longer any life in him. There was no longer any breath in him. Solomon says, and this same idea is repeated through the Psalms and it's repeated through the Proverbs. The dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. There is no life in man except for the breath of God. I want to read to you one of my favorite scriptures. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in exceedingly great army. That's a powerful image. This is one of my favorite images in all of the Bible. Can you imagine going out into the dry valley with heaps upon heaps of bones the life wasn't just gone the life was far gone this is the state the spiritual state of the house of Israel and I love the image of bone to bone the sound of the bones rolling over one another as they come together and then they stick together as they're supposed to stick together and then the sinews and all the fibers and the muscles and everything grows around it and Ezekiel's watching as this happens and all of the organs are placed there and the brain is there and then eyeballs and then skin covers it and he watches all of this happen and he's amazed by it he keeps saying behold behold which is a that's a sign of surprise he's amazed by it and yet he says but there was no breath in them there is no life in man. There is no life in anyone except for by the breath of the Almighty God. I can be flesh and I can be blood. And I may have a certain part of my faculties that will do certain things, but if the breath of God is not in me, 
there is no life in me. I'm just like Adam before God breathed on him, and I'm just like all those bodies that once were bones, now they're bodies, but there was no breath in them. Apart from the breath of God, there is no life. Now, Ezekiel's using a powerful image here to, to tell a, a true story of what had happened in Israel. What Israel had done was they had once known the words of this book. They'd known them. They'd been in covenant with God. They'd said all those words, we'll do them. Give us these words. We want these words. And they went into covenant with Almighty God, but, but then they forgot these words. And the frills of rebellion had, had wooed them and intoxicated them and made them to feel alive, as we sometimes say. But the end of the road, see, Israel had been on that road for long enough. But they'd known these words, and they said, well, we don't want those words anymore. We're going to go listen to these words over here. And they went down that road long enough. They, they were fortunate enough by the grace of God to get to the end of the road to see the natural outcome of it before it was too late for them. Where when they got there, the road to rebellion, the broad road, the road of not hearing these words any longer, this was their testimony. Chapter 37 and verse 11 of Ezekiel. It says, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Indeed, we are cut off. That's where they were. I've been there before. Has anyone else been there before? I remember a time in my early 20s when I felt so dry and empty and hopeless on the inside. And by the grace of God, whatever it was that was intoxicating me, whatever it was that would dull and numb, whatever it was that I was really looking for had worn off enough that I could see clearly, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. And in that moment, I longed for life. See, if, you go, if, if, if we deny these words long enough, then the thing that we denied them for eventually wears off and we realize, well, this wasn't the salvation that I so desired. There was something more. And, and, and we, fortunately, by the grace of God, we have a, pa a path back to it. But what can a man do? When, when you get to the end of that road, what can a man do? What could a doctor do with my dear brother who lay before us when there was no life in him? What could Ezekiel do when he looked on the perfectly formed bodies on the ground, but there was no life in him? God said to Israel, notice first person personal pronouns here. God said to Israel, I will open your graves. I, I can't bring myself back to life. God said, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. God said to Israel, you shall know, verse 13, that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from my graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. So we know when I find myself to be dead, when I find myself to be hopeless and dried up, when I find myself in that state, God says, I will give you life. 
But my next, my question is, how do I get it? I want that. I, I believe you'll do it, but what do I need to do to be on the receiving end of that? How do I receive this great blessing? Well, listen to what the text says. God said to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Sometimes ask that of people living in this world. Can they live? God asked it to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel said, oh Lord God, you know. Why are you asking me? You know the answer to this. And this was the answer that God gave to Ezekiel. He said, Ezekiel, go out into the valley and look on the bones and say this. Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That, that's the answer. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. If your bones are dry and your hope is lost and you are dead, hear the words of the Lord. This, this, this word is the breath of God. You breathe this in, that's the difference between dry bones and vitality. That's the difference between being a hopeless person who looks forward to the future and is uncertain and doomsday and being a person who wakes up with a skip in your step and a smile on your face knowing who you are, whose you are, and where it is that you're going. All through the prophecy of Ezekiel, God repeated this line over and over again to Ezekiel, saying whether they will hear me, or whether they don't hear me, you must bring the words of the Lord. That's the difference between being a hope-filled person and a hopeless person, is hearing the words of the living God and bringing them into your life. The prophetic words of God are the life breath of mankind. Paul said this to Timothy. Next slide, please. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, I know that we have various versions and some don't say it exactly like that. But in the Greek, it, li it literally says every scripture is God-breathed. That's how it is. Theonustos. Theo, God, nustos, breath or spirit. Every single scripture is God-breathed. I'm amazed by that. The Almighty God breathed out, and what we got was these words on these pages. And so what do you suppose would happen if we took all the words between Genesis 1 and Revelation, whatever the last chapter of Revelation is, and we brought them into our lives and we heard them? We'd become alive. Paul told Timothy, every scripture is God-breathed, and it was on that basis. By virtue of these being the life breath of God, and therefore the life breath of man, he says that they are profitable. They profit us. They are good for us. They benefit us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
when you look back on Ezekiel's prophecy, Ezekiel said that when the breath of God came out, and it came out by way of prophetic utterance, see, the words of God came through Ezekiel, he, he poured them out on Israel, and when they had ears to hear them, then those dry bones made them to become alive. And it says to stand up on their feet, which is a position of confidence. And it says not only that, but they were an exceedingly great army. They were living. They weren't just living barely hanging on. They were living and they were standing. They weren't just standing still. They were an army. They were a force to be reckoned with. They had power in them. There was vitality and life and purpose and direction in them when the breath of God came on them. And Paul's saying the same thing to Timothy when he says, when we take these words and they reprove and correct and train, he says the result is that we are thoroughly equipped for every single good work. When we breathe these words in, we must. See, when I look around the world, I know for certain every single person wants to live. There's not, everybody wants to live. Even those who say, I don't want to be alive right now, what they would really like to have is vitality and life within them. Everybody wants to live. Everybody wants life. Everybody wants hope. There's a lot of darkness out there. The answers are right here. Take these words and bring them into your life. Breathe them in. Just as Ezekiel was doing, just as Paul said to Timothy, these words are our lives. And I want to finish with just a couple of applications and then the lesson will be yours. By the way, I meant to mention this at the beginning, but for the next four weeks, we're going to continue on this theme the word of God as breath, the word of God as food, the word became flesh on December 24th, the word of God a sword and a scalpel, the word of God a lamp to my feet. And I hope by doing so that we will continue with this great and firm foundation that has been laid here at this congregation by so many before me and that your wonderful elders are ensuring to continue. Finish with a couple applications. Number one, and this is as simple as it gets. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. Hear it. I mean, it's just as simple as open, open your ears and say, I want it. If it's of the Lord and it isn't of man, I want it. I want to hear the words of God. Why? Because it's my life. There is no life apart from these words. This is everything. I'm not, I'm not standing before you because I'm an especially confident person. These words are everything. I want the world to know them. I want to know them. Hear the words. How many times in the ministry of Jesus did we see him say or hear him say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
The idea is be attentive, be open, and be willing to be challenged by them because they certainly are that. But bring them in. And I think that what we have to do in order to do that effectively is we have to combat the temptation of the enemy. See, the idea that he has seeded in so many is that you start living by these words, you start taking these words into your life, that'll squelch you. It'll suffocate you. you, you won't, you'll just be a shell of who you used to be. You really want to live, you've got to let loose and kind of a You pick and choose, pick some. That's a lie from the enemy. They won't squelch us, they won't suffocate us. The fact of the matter is, there's a total death that's involved. And after that death, we're made alive again. Only when we're made alive, we're made alive in the fullest sense. Where we then go forward and we bear what everyone in the world wants to bear. Namely that of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we bring God into our lives. And lastly, breathe it all in. Breathe every last bit of it. I, has, has anyone here ever hiked the incline in Colorado Springs? Have you heard of it? it it's, it's a monster of a hike. I think it's probably the extremist that you can get on, on the scale. My uh, in-laws live in Colorado Springs, so we're there uh, pretty frequently. And I did this a couple of years ago, and it's essentially, it's a mile, maybe even a little bit more it, it seems to me that it was straight up. It wasn't. I think it was like a 30 or 40 degree. I, whatever it was, it seemed like I was climbing a ladder straight up. And you're at altitude and you're going even higher. There was not a point on that hike where I thought, you know what, I don't, I don't need all the oxygen that's around me. I'll, I'll just, no, I was trying to take everybody else's oxygen. I was heaving and bringing all of it in i knew i needed it if if i'm going to keep moving up this i need all the oxygen that i can get and brothers and sisters the idea is breathe it all in we need all of it there's not a part of this book that i can say i'm going to breathe that in this part over here i'm going to hold my breath i need every single last bit of it that's the only way that i'll thrive that's the only way that i'll be vital that's the only way that i will live there are some, and I'll finish on this. There are some who everything that they say is true. They may come into a pulpit, and everything they say is true. You could say, that was Bible, that was Bible, that was Bible, that was Bible. Everything they ever say is true. But they don't say everything that's true. And it is by the grace of God, it is my hope and my ministry here to be faithful to this text to give you all of the words of life so that I can stand with Paul who himself said to Ephesus I gave you the whole counsel I gave it all I need it for me y'all need it for you and I believe that when we bring these words into our lives we will live and stand on our feet and we will be a force to be reckoned with in this world as the Lord transforms us so on that, I want to offer an invitation for anyone who is hopeless. 
For anyone who feels inside what I felt at one point in my life and what I'm sure many of the rest of you have as well. If there's anyone that has any need at all, this is the opportunity to let that be known while we stand and sing.